Synchronicity will take you along. And here's your host, Travis William Skink Mateer. Hello and welcome to episode four of Zoomcron. That's short for the Zoomtown Chronicles. And I'm your host, Travis Mateer. This conversation that I'm bringing to you today is with drone whistleblower Brandon Bryant. I am talking now on October 24th, 2021. This interview was recorded on October 19th, 2021, um, and actually was first put out on my blog on the 22nd of 2021, of course, um, and I put it out on Vimeo. So there's a, a really nicely done video production of this interview. So if you want to see Mr. Bryant and myself in my studio in Missoula, Montana, that's Zoomtown for you listeners out there, um, you can check out the link that I will include in the show notes. So um, other stuff I should mention, let's see, I would call this interview an October surprise because there is a larger project, hopefully, hopefully, going to be ready on 11 11 veterans day brandon bryant obviously drone whistleblower he is a veteran um, we talked a lot about really the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 about tax increment financing and the local uh, activism that was surrounding um, the use of public resources that really sparked on october 16th 2019 uh, with public comments from J. Kevin Hunt about $16 plus million going to Wisconsin developer Nick Chakota. So Brandon was a big part of that local effort to bring awareness and to let city council members know just what they thought about that public use of tax increment financing. So we get to go into more detail into Mr. Bryant's situation. Uh, Mr. Bryant faced felony intimidation charges and was acquitted in July of this year very quickly by a jury of his peers. Um, I think there's a lot to get into here, and so I'm excited to to bring Mr. Bryant's conversation to a podcast format for you to, to check out and listen to. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach, reach me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. So I will stop blabbing, and now here is my interview with Brandon Bryant. Another episode of Zoomtown is now coming to you. I'm your host, Travis Mateer. Um, and today is a extra special edition of Zoomtown. We have a Missoula hometown. Well, I would call him a star, but um, maybe it's because I know a little bit more than the average Missoulian does about um, what Mr. Bryant has been up to for the last couple of years. Um, but before I get ahead of myself, um, Brandon Bryant is in the studio with me today to uh, talk a little bit about um, what was happening here in Missoula in 2019, um, at the end of 2019, actually. Um, I just remembered, you know, 
October 16th, 2019 was a was a big date um, in terms of Missoula history. Um, that was a date in which a very large portion of tax increment financing was going to be directed towards a not Missoula native by the name of Nick Chakota. And that sort of sparked what became um, a very contentious brief time period here in this town. Um, and Brandon was at some sort of center stage with a lot of the, the action that was happening. Um, I was on the periphery writing about some of this stuff. And so today we get a chance to kind of revisit this time period. Um, but before we get to that, I want Brandon to, to describe a little bit about his actual military background, um, because that certainly does play, I think, a very important role in what became a sort of local activist um, situation. So, um, Mr. Bryant, thank you for being here today and introduce yourself to the people listening. Thanks, man. Um, my name is Brandon Bryant. Um, I am a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force still uh, until 2034. Um, I served active duty from 2005 to 2011 and then active reserves from 2011 to 2013. Uh, during my active duty time, I flew MQ-1 Bravo Predator drones. Uh, they were armed with a uh, 114 AGM Hellfire missile, air-to-ground missile, uh, and a, a signals intelligent pod called a Gilgamesh, which uh, was a mo basically a mobile cell phone tower. So my military career consisted of um, uh, surveillance, reconnaissance, and action. Right, uh, but mostly surveillance and reconnaissance. But there was a few times where we actioned. I personally have, I, I I don't. People sometimes mistake this as a brag, but it's not a brag. Um, I killed thirteen people and participated in the deaths of over twenty seven hundred others, uh, hunting wow. hunting wow. them down. Yeah. Um, and I have a. I actually have the certificate that was given to me. And if I have my. Uh, active duty discharge papers if you want to post a picture. Well, and that's that's reality. And I'm a big fan of acknowledging yeah. the reality on the ground of what happens. And mm -hmm. you were involved in a, in a war environment um, that a lot of civilians were not all that aware of or seemingly maybe all that um, caring of mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, a, a the amount of um, li life lost that, that you were serving your country and a part of. Correct. So, um, so I when I started out, I, I was flying conventional forces for the 15th Reconnaissance Squadron, and then I ended up in J Joint Special Operation Command, J JSOC. JSOC, yeah. Yep. Um, and I tell people this for two reasons. Not to brag that I was in JSOC, but I was basically just given a patch. Like, basically, they're like, we need you to fly drones for us. Here's a patch. Um, but the cool thing is, is in lieu of all that, though I didn't, wasn't, I was forced into the program, I still got all the training that they offered, you know, right. bio warfare, um, nuclear fallout, uh, emergency situations, that type of deal. And I take that very seriously. Like I, 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 I might have been very vocal while I was in the military about what we were doing, but I was also the best that they had. In the, and that's why I never got in trouble. You're that's an asset. What, they invested a significant amount of resources to right. get you to that level of being good at what you were doing. Correct. And I'm still in the military technically and nothing's been done to me. Like I'm, I'm the only whistleblower that has, I, I can't say not face jail time now, but up until I faced 
jail time in my own home town, um, I was the only whistleblower that had no one really fucking with me officially. Yeah, yeah. Um, Until you came back to Missoula and became active in local politics. How correct. ironic is that? Uh, actually, that that is super ironic because um, I had always thought that Missoula, uh, you've seen a river runs through it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the quote where the further and further away that you get from Missoula, Montana, the number of bastards increases exponentially. I was the kid that growing up here that was the anti-bastard, right? My family, you know, my, my grandfather, great-grandfather um, started uh, Lincoln School Baptist Church. Okay, yeah. You, I, I heard a little bit about this, and wrestling was a, was a big part of, of your life, right? Correct. Was, did your grandpa teach wrestling? Yes. Uh, so I, uh, my great-grandpa was the minister. My grandpa was the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so my great-grandpa, the minister, uh, built a, a 89 churches across the United States, ended wow. up retiring here in Missoula. Uh, retiring a pre- preacher never retires um, <laughs> and true. Uh, the church the the church at the gates okay so we had Lincoln School Baptist and then they closed that down um, and then they built that they took over the church at the gates the the courthouse yeah yeah right? uh, rebuilt it um, uh, my grandpa Lanny coached uh, in the six, uh, 70s and 80s in um, wrestling at Hellgate led Hellgate to its first state championship. Oh wow! Um, title um, first and only. Uh, came out of retire. My uncle coached in the '90s at Hellgate. Uh, my grandpa came out of retirement and coached Big Sky and Frenchtown when I was going to school there. My mom teached at French, taught at Frenchtown, and then now teaches at um, Big Sky. Oh wow! Wow. Um, she's a special needs teacher, takes care, like helps special needs kids get jobs and uh, further their career after after high school. And Probably is involved with like opportunity resources and, uh, and lo- local organizations that do some of that amazing work. Absolutely. And yeah. actually, actually, my mom, my family's been very big in the community as far as being like support. Yeah. Um, you can ask anyone that's been here if they know the Bryants and they'll they'll say, yeah. So part of the reason why I mention these is because when I started having problems w- with local politics, I'm really unsure if they knew anything about my family background. Right. And I'm not going to sit, go up there and be like, my name is Brandon Bright. I'm here. My family did. No, I'm going to tell you who I am and I'm going to tell you what you did wrong and I'm going to tell you to correct it. And I'm going to tell you that if you don't, there are going to be consequences. Well, you weren't running for political office, so you weren't giving that, you know, I'm a third generation, fourth generation. You didn't have the need to prove yourself in that capacity. But, but so take us back to October 2019 and, you, and you're you're back here in Missoula in your hometown mm-hmm. um, where you know your grandpa taught wrestling I, I spent a year wrestling and so I know that's a that's a hard sport to um, to be good at and mm-hmm. and so you come back here tax increment financing seems like a long ways away from from doing the kind of whistleblowing and bringing attention to to you know what was going on Correct. half a world away and so what what put tax increment financing on your radar so to speak um, so I, when I blew the whistle, I'm going to give you a little background for this. Yeah. So yeah, when I, yeah. when I blew the whistle, I was given the whistleblower award in 2015, the same award that was a wish awarded to Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. By the German Federation of Scientists and the, uh, uh, League of International, uh, Lawyers Against Nuclear Arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so after that, I like I actually had a lot of internet trolls, people stalking me, uh, people following me, people threatening me. I have one guy who is totally psychopathic, um, former army, um, uh, sorry, air force major who right. just, whose yeah. wife works for Raytheon, the company that got the, uh, defense contract for drones. Um, you were high profile and you made yourself, um, <clears throat> basically the target of some people that were not appreciative of the things that you were saying and bringing attention to. Correct. And yeah. they, they basically stole my son from me and kicked me out of Europe. Um, and so coming back to Missoula, I was, I was really hurt. Yeah. Um, I had the people that I relied on abandoned me across the entire board. Like I put myself out there. I risked my life. My mom was my, the government came to my mother the day after I got the award and told her that ISIS was going to kill her because that was reported. Wasn't it? I, re yeah. I remember reading that. Yep. And, uh, and actually, uh, after that happened, all my mom's coworkers and friends basically kicked her out of the group and um, exiled her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it really hurt her. It really worried her. Um, so I was. I, I went through a very severe depression, very severe uh, couple years, and then in 2019, um, I just kept hearing people talking about rent going up. Um, let me tell you a quick story. Let yeah, me, um, and this is this is regarding Plum Property Management. Let me say that again: Plum Property Management. It's all of them that do this. Um, it is it is such a problem, and, and people that haven't been treated like this don't understand. That. So I worked at Missoula Aging Services after working at the Pavarello Center, and um, I had a, a client who was needing to get, um, I think it was some money back on on something that had happened. Um, and, and I basically had to advocate for this person and I called the, the desk person or whoever's running the office and I needed her to send out a, a piece of mail to my client. Um, and she asked me, well, who's going to pay for the postage? And, and I, I had, to, I was taken aback because I, I basically had to remind this, this person, I'm like, my, my client has limited income. This 30 or $40 or however, however much it was is very important. Um, are you really going to make her pay for postage to get money back that you owe her anyways? I mean, I was shocked. And so when I went to actually, uh, I wanted to try and file a complaint about this. And so I looked at some like statewide organization of realtors um, and I called and left a message. The person that called me back asked me um, like, yeah, so what rental property are you wanting to complain about? Um, and I said, Plum Property Management. Well, he owned Plum Property Management. A little, a little awkward. Um, but I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt and just go on a tangent, but I, I think when it, when we're talking about housing here, you've, you've had this, these forums, you've, you've been on, on big stages and you're back here dealing with trying to get some basic things going mm -hmm. and just getting into housing. I mean, you're mm -hmm. caught up in this mm -hmm. housing is getting more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. I have some income guaranteed, but it's not even enough to get Mm -hmm. oh, um, wow. wow. Well, yeah. Well, right. they, they finally did send the, my client what they needed to, but the fact it was an issue just to get the postage, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I had to be an advocate. And, and so if this, if this client didn't have someone to advocate for her, then she would have just had to eat the cost or been treated like dirt. Oh, and absolutely. That's, unless someone is watching and paying attention and holding people accountable, mm -hmm. they treat people like dirt. And it almost mm -hmm. seemed like w Missoula was going through this kind of challenge of, of, 
at that level, just the cost of applications for uh, housing can be steep for some people. But at the same time, here's a Wisconsin developer that's going to get $16 million in tax increment 20. financing. When it all was said and done, I mean, the amount of uh, what he was going to get was just going to be substantial. Oh, so Absolutely. And he was going to build a fucking penthouse in yeah. the middle of the city so he could over look over it and lord on it like he's did, so Sauron? Did you read about it in the in the Missoulian or the Missoula Current? Because I know one of the one of the big challenges um, was the the fact that the the entire public comment period was moved by Mayor Engen. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening for people that aren't aware, um, we had a community, another sort of community. Um, I wouldn't call him an activist at that point, but J. Kevin Hunt he had come back to Missoula. Um, he used to practice law in Oregon, mm -hmm. and he was the one that actually caught the change mm -hmm. of schedule because this happened on a Wednesday. So the public right. comment was sought on a Wednesday in the middle of the day. Right. Um, and that was reported. But do you remember how you heard about that initially? So um, it, it was a little convoluted yeah. because uh, what ended up happening was my mom lost her apartment for some reason. And I do think that that was because of the whistleblowing. So we had to move. My mom had to move. Uh, I had to move. And so I ended up moving into a place with a few people. And um, these were of the lower end of the income spectrum. And I listened to them. I listened to them complain about how hard it is to work, how hard it is to, to just survive, how hard it is to eat. Um, I, I wa lived their life. I watched them. Um, this is a attention. college town, so a lot of times people have to have multiple yeah. roommates and, right. and people sleeping in closets to, to sort of cobble together enough for rent. Correct. And yeah. I'm a very empathic person. It's kind of part of what makes what I've done so effective. Um, but I, I felt their pain. You know, when uh, I first got injured out of the military um, and before I was doing my whistleblowing, um, I basically I was homeless for over a month. And then I lived because I was ashamed. Um, I was hiding from people. I ended up living with my mom. And then it was about four, about four or five months before I actually got help from the VA. Did you spend any night, like, nights in the car? Yeah. Um, uh, the Dragon Hollow. Yeah. yeah. There, I used to climb on top of the tower at nighttime and just sleep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, cause I mean, you could just park down there overnight yep. and I didn't, uh, I'd, I'd park in my car and then of course cops would come up and hit you in the car if it was, if it was occupied in there. So I just slept on top of the, the dragon's hollow. And, um, you know, that's why like, you know, Missoula has a very special place for me. Karis has a special place for me and what yeah. they've done to it is just, yeah, um, I, I, um, I got some footage on my phone, uh, because basically I am thinking of my kids who grew up rolling down that hill and they flattened the hill. They, um, took out the, the seats. I mean, it, it it's really hard in Missoula still to see the changes that are, that are happening. And mm -hmm. so you're listening to people, um, that you're living with, you know, talking, complaining mm -hmm. about this. Um, you're feeling their pain. You're experiencing pain yourself of like, you know, trying to get some sleep and, and not wanting to get that tap on the window. Mm -hmm. um, so with, with like all this stuff blowing up with like Dakota, um, you started actually going to city council meetings. Yes. Um, oh, there's one thing I want to say first. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So when I actually got housing assistance from the VA uh, in 2004, I want to say 13, 13, 14. Um, was that like a voucher type? Yeah. That was a but it was only $650 right? 
and uh, I could not get an apartment that cost me more. So if if, if I if I had I had six hundred fifty dollar voucher, if I had a six hundred and fifty one dollar apartment, I they wouldn't approve me for. You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and what can you find even back in, in that in 2013, 2014 for $650? Basically run down yeah. something, run down and uh, moldy and that type of stuff. Yep, yep. Um, just, also, just a thing for a veteran that's that's um, struggling and, and trying to come back to the hometown and get feet underneath them. Um, I actually right now qualify for a maximum VA home loan. And uh, over the last four years, I've been trying to find a home to buy. Yeah. Uh, none of the real estate agents want to take a VA home loan because they have to go through extra inspection processes. And oh, really? Yeah. They're, 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 they're more stringent. So in Missoula, they're denied, they're, they're not taking, letting people use a VA home loan in the, the Missoula because there's more restrictions in place on what is qualified for a, vet, a housing. Project. Wow. I, wow. Yeah. So, um, in October, I was frustrated with that as well. So yeah. I started going to the city council meetings. I was listening, I was watching, and the city council was doing the same thing that my military leadership were doing. I was watching people get up and expressing their concerns about what was going on and the struggles that they were going to, and every single city council member ignored them. And they were it was just like a game to them. It was just theater. theater. That's all it was. Yeah. So well, you have your you have your 3 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And during uh, my birthday that year, November eighteenth, um, I my my grand my grandpa being the the, the um, preacher, I like parables, and I like I've studied the, all the religions of the world, read all of them. So I gave them a parable that I thought expressed the uh, scenario we are in: the ninety nine sheep and the one sheep of the rich man. Yes, yes, yes. And as I was telling this story, I was just going to tell the story and just leave. You know, and as I was telling the story, they were sitting there looking on their cell phones, typing on the computer. None of them were paying attention to me. None of them. What did you do, Mr. Brian, to make sure that they were listening? I yelled at them. I gave them my staff sergeant voice. Yes. And then uh, about a month later, they put me in jail for 30 days for it. Um, and. And I believe the the the, the volume, um, the the actual content, if I recall correctly, because it was a very powerful moment, is you are that, that rich man. So here's the parable. Yeah. The parable it was is in um, the Old Testament, and it is uh, King David, right? So King David is on his throne. And he sees Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop, right? And he's like, I want this woman. And he gets her. Finds out that she's married and sends her husbands to the front line to die. And then does that, right? So the prophet Nathan walks in and he's like, hey, David, I have a story for you about a man that's in your kingdom. He says, there was once a rich man with 99 sheep and a poor man with one. And the rich man was going to have a guest come over to his place. And so he goes out to his field to survey his 99 sheep and sees that all of them are less than the poor man's one sheep. So he goes and takes the poor man's one sheep and serves it to the guest and leaves the poor man with nothing. And as I said that, like, they're just kind of do 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 do. And I was like, do you know what that means? do you understand what this story means? And they just weren't paying attention or anything. And I was like, you are that rich man. Excuse me, Mr. Bryant. We will, if you do not lower your voice, then we will uh, take a recess. Right? 
Yeah, and so so Mayor Angan at that point, I mean, they did take a recess, correct? Yep, yep. and I walked out, um, and I wasn't I, I wasn't going to yell at them. That was the only time I think that they I think that they deserve it. I think that they need to be yelled. Well, and at. you weren't intending, and that wasn't no. you you weren't walking up with the intention. It was more in the mm-hmm. moment, and you know, mm-hmm. I've I've actually also given public comment, and I know that sometimes um, I am not always sure what what I might do, mm-hmm. and and so sometimes the moment does does sort of, you know, lead to what um, then became, uh, I think, a moment that, that really caused them to pay more attention after that. So Yeah, but I think it caused them to pay attention in the wrong way. Yeah. It caused them, instead of being like, oh, how can we fix this, they started going, how do we cover it up? So, um, well, so so some of the other comments that were, were being made, I mean, it, it's not just you. Obviously, other people were showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people talking about homeless issues. Um, there was a woman that would sometimes make comment, um, and from her comments, it was very obvious that she needed her, herself. She needed some, some, some assistance mm-hmm. on the mental health scale. Correct. Um, and, and so, I mean, it was kind of like a, a messy situation in which the public, which it's our right to go and, and to go to the elected officials and to make public comments mm-hmm. when they are making decisions that really impact you know people's lives. And so Correct. that continued happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, week after week after week. At what point then were you, because you initially were then told to not be in the city council chambers, right? Correct. So. Um, after that initial, you know, you are that rich man moment, um, was it a couple weeks after that? It was beginning, uh, uh, middle of January okay. when I got this letter from the city council, uh, city council, uh, Ted Nugent, the lawyer who was like, you oh, are no, uh, Jim, Jim Nugent, Jim, Jim Nugent. Ted, Ted yeah. Nugent is a pretty kick-ass guy, yeah. but unfortunately Jim. not our, our city council yeah. or our uh, city attorney. That's yeah. Jim Nugent, the fossil who looks to yeah. be about 150 years old, but yeah. he's, uh, I call him Wormwood. Nice, nice. You know, from Lord of the Rings, yep. the guy who's like sitting behind. Yeah. That's apt. That's, yeah. that's good. Uh, so Wormwood sent me this message and... Um, was it an email or... No, it was an official, official letter. Did it like um, come via certified mail so that you had to... to no, I think... So. I think it, I don't remember how it ended up in okay. my hands. Um, I think maybe like a police officer dropped it off at my mom's place. Um after talking with all the city council members that would talk with me and hearing the same stupid bullshit oh, so you over did, oh no you, but I, you did have some direct conversations oh, with people like heather harp oh heather harp um heidi west uh i tried to talk to gwen jones i talked to try to talk to julie merritt i tried to talk to i tried to talk to all of them yeah, yeah. privately and with some of these group members jesse ramos yeah, yeah. um and the only people that were honest with me were Jesse Ramos and Heather Hart. Right. The only ones that were honest with me. And part of the reason that I went and did what they I was doing was because they had to have some sort of non-political um, knowledge thrown their way to be like, yeah, this is spiritually bad, emotionally bad, mentally bad. I'm going to read you some stories. Yeah. Like that was re- that was why I was reading the Bhagavad Gita because the Bhagavad Gita is about a guy who had his uh, inheritance taken away from him mm-hmm. and 13 years later he's ba- on a battlefield facing the guys who took his inheritance and he has a moment of crisis and being like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And yeah. God, God shows up and has been like, I'll be your charioteer and you can do this pick up your bow and fight yeah right the whole premise of the story Mm -hmm. and uh so i was trying to tell them this be like these lessons are 
ancient wisdom because they're viable no matter what age that we're in right so if you guys don't fix this this is what's going to happen like there's going to be conflict and i'm going to take my town back and you guys are going to suffer for it because this is my home i ain't going to let my home get yeah you're you're, pla- you're placing this in sort of a larger context yeah. a spiritual historical yeah. right. you know the longer arc of history yeah. the, so to speak. the valley of missoula is my kurukshetra yeah my yeah. sacred battleground right so um I decided that I was going to, with that, I decided I was going to make them, it's like pushing a domino over, right? You just like watch the reaction. You do one thing and just watch the reaction. Well, and I want to touch on something um, that you mentioned. When you say that the the, the expectation that you were stupid, um, the entire public was really being treated like they were stupid about tax increment financing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was part of the reporting at the time is that, Mm -hmm. listen, the public just doesn't get it. Right. Um, But the, the comments you guys were making for me demonstrated not only did you get it, um, but you were having an impact in getting other people in the community to get it because Mm -hmm. 4th Street, the 4th Street condo project, I mean, what started off is just like the Nick Chakota 16 or 20 million or 100 million, whatever, you know, large, crazy amount. The 4th Street condo project happens around the the, like January, I think, Mm -hmm. or no, December, I think is when it started kind of exploding on on another front. Um, And so the, I mean, it just it snowballed and and there was a lot more people coming into this awareness um but for you um you sparked this and then the consequences kind of hit you Mm -hmm. so everything else is kind of like you know getting more attention and awareness but unfortunately that translated to things happening for you that um you know yeah put you in 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 serious risk of facing jail and prison time yeah so um this is came up in the court case was that gwen jones uh, anytime someone gets up there to speak at city council, she will sit there and look them up and find derogatory information about them and try to fuck with their lives. So Heather Harp had to testify yes. to that to that fact, correct? Correct. Yeah. It was uh, uh, testified in the court of law and why she hasn't suffered any consequences for it, like suspension from being a city council person for this behavior is uh, very disgusting and unprofessional. Um well, and I don't want to. So, I want to get into that into the court the the court case because it's something that I don't think people in this town actually truly understand what happened in July. Yeah. But before we get to that, um, you know, you're barred from city council, mm-hmm. um, and I I do want to spend some time um, just in that February month because yeah. because part of what happened for people in that don't aren't aware of this is that um, there was a crazy set of events. Um, that's that really you were in jail when some of the craziest parts of all this were happening. Mm-hmm. So um, and that wasn't really known by the public. Um, and mm-hmm. so this this gets kind of complicated and convoluted. But if you could maybe just walk us through the, these couple days. Um, this is this is before Nick Chakota and the city club meeting was going to have this big public forum talking about all this, all this, you know, 16 million dollars. Um, and you get basically thrown in jail about a week before that happens Mm -hmm. and a couple days before the windshield of a cop cruiser breaks out and Missoula goes on lockdown. So if you could talk about those couple days really quick. Um, So uh, I knew for for about two, three weeks before all that happened, there was some really heavy stuff going down. But um, uh, when I went to jail, uh, I turned myself in 
And so there was a warrant out for your arrest and you were notified or you were aware of that. Uh, I was notified of it. So I, I, you know, I turned myself in. I didn't think I was going to go to jail for that long. I spent 30 days in jail. Um, Oh, wow. Two days after I got thrown in jail, um, the cop car got its window busted out. And the only news in Missoula that claimed it was me was the Hellgate Lance. And I have that article and do you know whose child is in the uh hellgate lance class so maggie van is the is the uh, the person and i wrote this down so i could um specifically actually Mm -hmm. ask you about that so it was reported um and this was from that article brandon bryant the cause of all all of the chaos this past wednesday was arrested and taken into custody thursday february 13th Bryant reportedly shot out the back glass of a police patrol car, fired shots outside of City Hall, and posted a video where he said that he would hunt people and exterminate them. So that was a, a excerpt from a Hellgate Lance article written by Maggie Van. Okay, so I'm going to talk about this. Yes. Okay. So I have a stalker. Okay. One of the things that Gwen Jones found out was the stalker's website who he made a video of me called God, Death and Children, which accuses me of being a pedophile uh, death cult leader who used the souls of the people I killed to give myself supernatural powers. Wow. Yeah. I mean, um, that's creative. Yeah. Uh, and he's Gw- the person that edited together um, videos that you were uploading as a process, as a part of your process of sort of dealing with um, a lot of the things that you've experienced. Correct. And then he was the one that actually sent the excerpts to city council members. Correct. Um, there's a lot of speculation behind it, but it, yeah. we know that there's direct com- communication between city council members and this guy. Yeah. Um, do you think there was uh, phone conversations? Oh, absolutely. There's definitely, absolutely. Did anyone te- have, have to testify to that under oath at the at no, your trial? I, actually, um, the day of the trial started, we made a deal. We told, said that no more, no, no surprise witnesses. And I definitely think that um, the prosecution had some surprise witnesses on that regard. Oh wow. Um, so yeah. and, and and for people that aren't aware of what you were facing, you were facing felony intimidation charges that could have landed you ten years in prison. Ten years in prison and about one hundred and fifty thousand dollar debt. Right. Um, so and uh, I, and I, it's interesting because I watched a video in preparation for this interview um, that you made before you got arrested, mm-hmm. um, and and in that video you mentioned that your mom is still paying off her student debt. You know, I mean, the the idea of just debt and 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 the ability to live your life seems to just hang over all of this. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah, they're trying. They're just trying to pile shit. Yeah. Right? Um. But so. But let's talk about that 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 Hellgate Lance article. Right. Yeah. Um, so, because so, so this um. Because of the mention of the videos. Yeah. Right. Guess. I, I just want to say, guess whose child is in the Hellgate Lance class? Hmm, Gwen Jones's son. Oh, you're kidding me. And his friends with the girl that wrote this. Oh, you're kidding me. No. I had no idea. Yeah. So we're pursuing legal action against the schools, and we're going to expose this as well. And we're going... I, like, Didn't Maggie Van get some kind of award for yeah. her reporting? Yeah. And the principal, the principal didn't like my mom went to the principal and the principal was like, just drop it. Your mom who worked in the school system for like three decades. Yeah. And she's been in the school district longer than this principal. 
Wow, so, I was not aware of that. Holy yeah. cow. So um, I'm going to ruin Gwen Jones's political career. You know, you and I, I think, made public comment uh, around the same time. Um, I had my own experience with Gwen Jones that I've been more public about recently, mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, it's a weird world we live in, and, and I'm very outspoken on some issues that, that I'm very passionate about. But um, when I wrote a poem as a private citizen back in 2018, um, you know, I didn't realize that Gwen Jones was very passionate about sidewalks and building sidewalks to the tune of thousands of dollars that homeowners were going to be billed for the sidewalks. And so I didn't realize at the time when I submitted this poem to the Missoulian that this was going to cause me some kind of um, serious interaction with a, with an elected official. But she was a board member of Missoula Aging Services at the time and used that to get me into a room with her and chastise me. I mean, basically chewed me out um, for writing a poem. That's that's a abuse of power. That's like the, the, everything that I've heard about her and um, uh, Heidi West and um, Julie Merritt and all those people, yeah. Brian von Losberg, they're all just scum. There's they're, a lot of conflict of interest questions that people have raised yep. because of you know connections like WGM. Yep. And this all goes back again to money and tax increment right. financing. Billions of dollars have been fraudulently wasted every year yep. and yet we can't seem to pay for the basic necessary necessary things for people to just get by yeah you know and in missoula it's really bad because nick chakota is probably the biggest bastard in this fucking place and the guy doesn't care he came in like we're we're an education city okay after the uh, uh rape scandals in the university, right. we started dropping in enrollment, uh, enrollment yep. and stuff. And what uh, what happens? Nick Shakota comes in and turns this into a music venue, uh, a, a wannabe paradise, but destroys the local music scene, um, makes it so that people who come and play for him can't play for 180 miles anywhere around here. You know, like the guy well, and I have to even have um, difficult conversations because the place where I rent the place that we are here. speaking today, yeah. um, he donated $50,000 to to the, the place yeah. where I'm renting. And yeah. so sometimes when I might want to use this venue to show maybe something that I'm working on that might be critical of the of the political power structure, um, it's even hard for me being a, a pain, you know, renter in this in this space. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to mention um, as the county attorney's office is deciding to spend their limited resources to prosecute you on felony charges um, you know I, I was talking to you before we started recording today about what I've been looking into with the Sean Stevenson case you know Sean was attacked and his alleged assailant was not charged with with anything he was released mm -hmm. from jail after like 48 hours um, around the same time this kid named Ben Musso was stabbed four times in the bathroom and he died and Kirsten Pabst, our county attorney, decided that um, the person that stabbed him, that was a justifiable use of force and self-defense. And so he faced no charges. Um, Kristen Pabst tried to get me to go to um, a drug rehab program that she created so she can say that it was successful. Drug rehab program. Drug rehab. And I didn't get in trouble for drugs. That was like, so one of the deals that the prosecution offer. Was that the part of like a plea offer? Yeah. Oh my god. They were like, you can go to drug rehab. Like every single two or three months they came with a new offer lessening the charge until like a week before we went to court they're like would you take a misdemeanor charge and we'll drop it after uh, a couple so years did, 
tell me about the decision because I mean, my hat's off to you for facing a significant amount of time in prison because uh, that was what you were risking mm-hmm. by by not taking any of those plea agreements, mm-hmm. facing a jury of your peers. Um, what was it like making that decision? And were, I mean, were you scared of losing? No, I actually wasn't scared of losing because I knew that um, I, I didn't really care about the result. I knew that this yeah. was a fight that needed to be fought yeah. and I'm going to destroy this corruption. The jury came back so fast with yeah. your acquittal. Yeah. I mean, it, it seemed they, from just the speed in which that acquittal happened that there was an acknowledgement that you were being politically persecuted by, for your for your activism. So they spent less than two hours to make the decision. They wow. The, so they, we were at the end of the day. We, they had to get dinner, call their families, tell them that they're going to be late introduce each other talk about one another without talking about the case and then make a decision and they made the the decision in less than an hour wow yeah which is funny because the prosecution relied on my stalker's testimony the whole time in his blog are there transcripts of of what happened in that court available because i think i um, i have a recording of the entire yeah entire trial so um i can well, that, I mean, I think the public needs to be more aware of what was happening because several mm-hmm. city council members were testifying and the mm-hmm. mayor himself, he changed what, mm-hmm. what, um, like he was, he testified on my behalf because he knew that if he would have testified against me, he would have been done. Wasn't he initially scared in part of the chorus to, to see you face these charges? Um, I'm not sure because I've gotten, I've never, I've not talked to him, but according to some people, he didn't actually know that they were pursuing charges against me. Interesting. What was his testimony like in court? Uh, he talked about my legendary grandfather. Oh, he, he did. He talked about my going to school with my uncle. He talked about my mother. Um, he said that he wasn't scared about from me. Um, which I mean, I can. That's cool and all, but it doesn't change the fact that. I didn't get justice. I spent a year and a half waiting for this trial, 30 days in jail. Were you you on house arrest once you got out of jail? And I know, I mean, just, just your mom had to pull a lot of strings to get you out of jail. So my mom gave up her retirement. Oh my goodness. And she still hasn't gotten her retirement back. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what actually happened was, uh, um, my mom gave up her retirement and they, they set my bail at a hundred thousand dollars. That's right. Which was double the legal limit under the Montana state constitution. Wow. Um, and okay. So a side note, a year ago I had a guy throw a knife at me and the guy, um, got out of jail with less than $10,000 bail felony assault. Felony yeah. assault. Yeah, that, that contrast, that, that is, I mean, you can't ignore that juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like everything that was happening to you wasn't on, on an elevated level in oh. terms of seriousness because of your yeah. activism and because yeah. of what you were doing and saying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm d- d- with some of the people that I've talked to, we've come to the conclusion that there was a lot of money invested into trying to get me to go to jail. Yeah. But when I got, when I got out, they set my bail so high, I, didn't, I don't think that they expected me to get out. Right. Um, got out the terms of the release were just general. I could like one of them was I couldn't step on city property, but when we found out as I was getting out of jail that the sidewalks count as city property so that if I went outside and walked on the sidewalk, the violation, the cops would arrest me. Wow. Yeah. Like anything, like anything happened. So we had to get a lot of shit amended. I had my medical card, medical marijuana at the time. And like, um, I had to get, 
permission from the prosecutor's attorney to continue using my medication. Oh, you're kidding me. No. Um, it was it was all, all screwed up. I didn't have to check in with a parole officer. I didn't have a monitor. But anytime I would leave my apartment, um, there would be cops that would follow me. And they'd do weird faces at me. They'd do the, like, point at their eyes and then point at me type shit. Were, were they, I mean, do you think this was, like, um, like private security, like, watching you? Or was this actual? These were actual, actual cops. Um, I would I would love to know about the cost of that. If that's something yeah. that was officially done to, to keep an eye on you, because why why couldn't like an ankle bracelet if you were on like house arrest or something? Because they because di- I didn't do anything. Right. There's literally they had nothing. And um, after I had the knife thrown at me uh, by this guy who who was the uh, you said that was about a year ago. About a year ago, he's yeah. the head of the Montana Crips, big Samoan dude. I forget his name, but he was a boxer, huge dude. Tried to fucking kill me, like literally got out of his vehicle and was going to try to open the door and kill me. The guy, it was, you described that situation to me as we were uh, driving over and it seemed um, pretty intense the way you described that. Yeah, it was, uh, the guy threw a knife at me going 70 miles an hour through two open windows and it hit me in the head. Like I'd never seen anyone but a Marine do that. And the engraving on the knife says that so that others may live, which is a special forces motto. Well, you know, I actually want to mention um, the fact that, you know, you're, the Missoula Current and Martin Kitston, um, in one of the oh, yeah. articles about you, what, what what was the term he used? Um, uh, I mean, suppo- uh, 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 suppo- not suppo- suppo- was it supposed or alleged? It wasn't alleged. 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 It was alleged veteran. Was it alleged veteran? Alleged, alleged veteran. It was inferred almost that there was stolen valor potentially yep. with your case. Yep. And all it would take to see um, you on Democracy Now!, to mm-hmm. see you in, in many different forums is to do a quick Google search um, and they can find your information. Um, That's the knife. Wow. And, and, and so Martin Kitson, in his reporting, yeah. like. Oh, that was so, so lazy. What, what? If I'm going to tell you this. That was the the laziest fucking marine bullshit that I've ever heard in my entire life. What a loser. Yeah, it was really it was really actually pretty concerning because here is a member of of the media and it wasn't just um you that that was um really actually treated very poorly. Um one of the activists Matt Wardell um, was was actually accused in print of um, sending also threatening videos. Yeah. And Martin Kitson had to change the reporting because Matt Wardell had a potential case of defamation against him. Oh, yeah. I definitely have a case of defamation against him and the Missoulian and all that type of stuff and we're working on. Um, but um, what what is the chance of seeing justice in a court system that seems to be you know, uh, so challenged in actually providing justice. I mean, do you have much hope um, in in terms of what might happen legally to 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 get justice for you? Well, I have a I actually have quite a, a, a team of lawyers working with me that have offered their help. Excellent. Um, and uh, lots of good advice and lots of stuff. We're 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 we don't have to do anything. We're just we're taking our time. It'll probably be about a. a two three years before we actually get something done um, unfortunately because that's how slow the legal system is it's true but because of my win with this and all the stuff that i've done publicly the u.s has no case against me right there's literally everything that they have done to me looks like retribution and anything that could be done to me from now on will be retribution yeah 
right? So they're, they, they've, they, because of their failure, they have tied their hands to be able to accomplish anything. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant experience. I hope it won't be. You know, what is pleasant though is, is living in Missoula, despite all of the changes um, that I know I've seen in the last 21 years, um, I still get a chance to take my dog out um, to the woods and, and to walk around um, in this beautiful environment where the river still runs through it. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I, I wonder, you know, do you get chances to, to still kind of, you know, enjoy the surroundings um, and, and benefit from the fact that this town is still a beautiful place and there are, there are parts of it worth fighting for, even though parts of it might be lost to the gentrifiers and, um, and the out of state, you know, mm-hmm. uh, carpet baggers and, and developers. Do you, do you get a chance to get out and, and kind of get that spiritual connection to what we have here in this town? Absolutely. Good, um, good. After the knife was thrown at me, the state took my driver's license away because I think that they thought I was going to run, but they obviously don't know me because I face everything. Like yeah. I don't run. Yeah. Um, but I do. I get out all the time. I have a beautiful group of friends that have supported me, um, even though they're not, they're not active. Um, I've taken on this role of, you know, you, you were a wrestler. It's like being out on the mat. It's like, everyone's a challenger. You know, I got a bunch, I got people in the crowd cheering me on. I got my own corner and I'm the guy that's out there on the mat doing the stuff and I can do it. Yeah. I'm capable of it. I've been trained. I've been taught. I've been disciplined. Um, and so like, I think that that's my big connection here. Um, you know, uh, Hellgate's my Hellgate Canyon is I, we talk about the microcosm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you you weren't writing a fantasy story, um, but have you ever heard of the Dresden Files? Um, I by Jim Butcher. No, I haven't. No. So I'll it's it's down. so it's a modern urban fantasy noir detective noir style oh stuff. nice it's about a wizard in chicago who is works with the police doing special paranormal assignments but they came out with a dungeons and dragons type game where you can like do that with any town so i i had this uh uh scenario written where um hellgate is actually literally the gates of hell and like mis- mystically and so like that canyon is like the people, the, the uh, heritage of the people of Missoula is to guard the gates of hell so they don't break open. Wow. Right? And the gentrifiers and the carpetbaggers are the people that are trying to bust hell open so they can be released on the world. But like the sacred duty of the people of Missoula. Holy cow, my, my book opens in Hellgate Canyon. Like the first scene really? is in Hellgate Canyon, yeah. Um, this that, that wow that's that synchronicity man it keeps on happening I mm-hmm. I swear there's something about this town that like I am I am experiencing the magic of this place on an almost daily basis that, mm-hmm. that reminded me why I, I moved here you know I was born in Spokane and, and lived in the Midwest for a while but um, a lot of people have the kind of stories where you know I was going to a wedding seeing one of my cousins get married and I stopped in Missoula for lunch with my fiance we both had to finish college and we decided back in 2000 oh yeah let's let's move here um, and, and it's just there is a magic to this place mm-hmm. and you know I spent some time you know working at the Pavarello Center because I, I do have some privilege and I, I think I could be one of those negative influences um, in this town if if I don't respect the history of this place mm-hmm. um, and honor the fact that you know the people that are here 
um, increasingly are not able to continue staying here. A lot of their kids mm-hmm. can't continue living here. And uh, and so, yeah. um, I mean, I see that reality all the time and I, I feel pretty privileged, you know, to be able to continue living here. I didn't move away after college because I am financially privileged. I mean, that's right. why, because right. I am financially privileged, you right. know? Um, I think that a lot of people come here because it's a good place to raise their family. Yeah. And I think that's, um, as, since my family's been in the education, um, I, I'm actually, that's that's where I'm gonna go, actually. Awesome. I'm gonna get my uh, philosophy degree in war and faith. Cool. And uh, I think that's my, my ultimate goal is to teach and coach. Um, that but, would be amazing. But here, and I, I'm do, gonna do it here in Missoula. Yeah. But um, it's, expensive to live here and bring kids and raise here and and our education system's falling apart because uh people moving here don't want to pay for the education they that we got wealthy people moving in here and do not want to pay their dues yep they they basically want free entrance into the club and uh no uh no support for this well i i I was talking to someone about some kind of like i mean this would never happen but a sliding scale sort of charge where people moving in have to pay a a very high entry fees essentially Mm -hmm. um and it would sort of the longer you've lived here um the less you have to do to try and get the people coming in because i mean like i was telling you the podcast is called zoom town because we are in this hyper gentrification environment right right now i um just earlier today i um interviewed a professor from chicago Mm Um, who actually was was interviewed back in 2019 about Stockman's Bank making mm. making money off of uh, tax increment financing and, and bonds and all this stuff and um, you know it's just it's something where I think um, you know unless people take more accountability for mm. the fact that a hometown guy like John Angan you know as as legitimate as his claim to being a hometown guy is after 16 years what he has actually demonstrated um feels like a betrayal and a sellout oh, of, yeah, he's of a what's 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 special about this place and it's mm-hmm. just um there's a lot of special things to continue fighting for um mm-hmm. and i i think education is a good thing to, to focus on because the scrutiny unfortunately is going to be on you yeah um anything you do and say and mm-hmm. any any chance that they have to continue bringing heat on you um is probably going to be taken advantage of if, if that opportunity arises so. right um well i think that they learned I kept during this last year. Yeah. Um, okay. So part of the reason why some of those videos that I've made were there was because I get a lot of threat messages online mm-hmm. and I had to make videos being like, if you come after me, I will defend myself. And I'm making a public statement about that so that no one can, if, and, or, but so if, there's no confusion. There's no yeah. confusion. <laughs> if you come after me and threaten my friends and family, I will take your life and I will feel zero regret for them. Yeah because I am sick and tired of you fuckers trying to hurt me and my family. And I've gone to the cops, I've gone to authorities and they've done nothing, zero. Um, And uh, it's it's one of those things that you're just, they're gonna try, they're gonna try to do all this kind of stuff, but they've, with everything that's happened, with the pulling out of Afghanistan, with the 20 years of failed warfare, with the gentrification, the wealthy not paying their taxes, the wealthy moving here to get rid of, get out, escape coronavirus and yeah. bringing it here, like they've totally fucked themselves. It's, it's they're, there's, they're never gonna get out of it. It's either gonna keep piling and piling up until it buries them so far deep that they're gonna be forgotten and their souls are going to be crushed or it's going to explode back in them and they're going to lose everything, including their money and their lives. And I have zero, I don't care what 
comes. I've given them the opportunity to do the right thing. They took me from my home and despoiled my soul. They ruined my home. I can't even live here. I'm a disabled veteran. I murdered for this country. I've gone all over the world to try to make be a good representative of my country, and I've ran into nothing but shit. Yeah. You know, the, the even the, the 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 idiots online. I've had people come up to me and call me a monster for being a part of the program right. or being a traitor for talking about the program. Now you gotta, you gotta, you've gotten it from all sides in a yeah. lot of ways. You know, like I give a shit about nothing. Yeah. I give no fucks. Everyone has their fucking opinion, but I'm the one who did it. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard of the arena? Mm-mm, okay. No. So there's this quote by um, Teddy Roosevelt that I'm going to read for Teddy, you. Teddy, yes, Teddy. absolutely. So it's the man in the arena. Um, the man in the arena. I always get my Roosevelt's kind of confused. Teddy was, what was his time period? Yeah. Um, he was early 1900s. 19 eight, late 18 was he the fireside chat kind of he was the first and only guy that was three terms president oh, okay 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 um and this speech really stays with me because it, like okay my stalker is just a critic he's literally done nothing but be a critic right he's he's done nothing but be an asshole and a critic to people and um this is this is the um speech it is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat and i say that i've known more victory in my life than most people wow i like that i've never heard that before really yeah no i, I love I teddy roosevelt you know teddy roosevelt was the guy who's made our national parks oh that's right when yeah. the republicans and the democrats didn't want him he created his own party called the bull moose party you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that actually because um, I, have you watched Yellowstone at all? No. The I so I, I oh that's okay. Don't worry. Um, I am not a big fan um, necessarily of Kevin Costner, and I haven't been. But I I heard from enough people that I needed to to watch Yellowstone, so I started watching it, and it's ended up playing into um, my synchronicity work because um, Yellowstone, the first episode, I don't want to give a spoiler, um, but I don't think I'm spoiling my too mom, much. My mom watches it, so I've, I've, I've caught clips. And season four is coming out soon. I'm mm-hmm. very excited. But um, it's, it's interesting. I've been thinking about water and the flow of water. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were talking about the Wilma. The Wilma is right next to the Clark Fork. I've been um, researching the Chapel of the Dove, which is this interesting, eccentric uh, place in the basement of the Wilma back in like the 70s and 80s. I'll tell you more about it when we're done. Um, it's fascinating. I'd never heard about about this, um, but in in researching this, um, I, I started realizing that the flow of water and controlling like the riverfront um, is is a very powerful. It's, it's sort of an example of how power can can manifest, you know, in the in the geography, right? Mm-hmm. And I was born in Spokane, and so I've been looking into the the World Fair in Spokane because that's what um, renovated the, the riverfront in Spokane. So mm-hmm. all of that development happened in 1974 because of the World Fair Expo that was going on. And so um, 
in Yellowstone, I, I did this interview with this synchromistic guy, Michael Wan, and he was doing this uh, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner work, and he's down in Pennsylvania. And I was telling him that Kevin Costner's work in Yellowstone, that first episode, what happens is this billionaire gentrifier comes into Montana, um, owns or buys the land next to this big ranch where Costner's character you know, has, has lived, and is going to develop this, create this big resort. And so what Costner's character does is he sends some of his guys up high enough into the mountains with some dynamite. And they blow some shit up, and that river moves ever so slightly <laughs> off of the property of the billionaire who can now no longer develop it because that water is no longer on there. Awesome. And and I just, it was this, um, it was like a culmination of, of looking into a bunch of different things and I, I it sort of all came together when I was talking to this guy um, about synchronicities and water. And it's just a really mm -hmm. fascinating thing because we're, we're at the headwaters in so many ways of, mm -hmm. of big water flows, glacial Lake Missoula, mm -hmm. when you go way back in history. Um, and just, I mean, thinking about Hellgate Canyon and, and how many rivers are coming into this valley, it's, it's maybe something to, to end on. Um, yeah. That water flows, water's going to be here long after we're gone, mm -hmm. um, and it's a. It gives me a little peace when I think about some of the battles ahead um, to to try and fight for rights and to try and protect what we love about places like this. Absolutely. So. Um, speaking of Kevin Costner, have yeah. you ever seen uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Oh yeah, of course. My favorite movie. Okay, I got to meet Morgan Freeman. Um, You're kidding me. I, I did an interview. Uh, uh, Whoa! The, uh, yeah, um, him and uh, we talked about drones and stuff. Wow! So I got to sit there. Yeah, I got it. It was awesome. It was like literally talking to God. Like, yeah, no, he's the yeah, voice of God. Yeah. I, so I'm sitting there with him. We had a. He's awesome. Like he's. I. We didn't get much time um, together. We were in New York, but um, I got us at. He's like, I was like, sir, I have to ask you this. I'm not a really big celebrity guy. I don't really do this, but you're in one of my favorite movies of all times and do you, can you guess what it is? And he's like, The Shawshank Redemption. And I was like, no sir, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I did the, you know, but there's two parts. Was he surprised? Was he like? Yeah, he was like, he was like, whoa. Like, and I was like, there's two parts that are my favorite. One part is when, you know, in the f one of the fighting at the end and he's on the wall and he's like, Christians, look at this man. He fights for you. Like, and he's like pointing. As the Muslim, because he's, yeah. he's a, yeah. yeah. And he's pointing at the uh, Kevin Costner. I love that part. It's like one of my favorite parts, but also the part where they're going to find Maid Marian yeah, and they're yeah. sitting outside and Duncan, the blind guy, is like complaining. He's like, oh, those Moors, I hate them. They're so bad, Moors, this. He's like, what kind of name is Azim? And he's like, Keltish? Scottish and Morgan Freeman goes with music, Moorish, and he's like, <gasps> I, I didn't it. even think about the cultural, you yeah. know, sort of stuff because I saw that when I was um, younger. But I love that movie too. It's an oh, excellent yeah. movie, and Robin Hood's such a great, great character. It's actually on Netflix now. Oh, they is just it? Put it on. Yeah. So well, that's that's. I'm gonna have to have my kids watch that. I've been uh, showing them Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Stand by Me and bringing yeah. some classics into their lives. So uh, yeah, and then like even that like there's even a part where he first meets him or brings him back to England mm -hmm. and uh, Morgan Freeman's looking around. He's like, is there no sun in this godforsaken country? He's like, where is East? Where is it? <laughs> he's like, oh, he's like, why were you in jail? You know, he's like, why were you in jail? A woman? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, I, 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 just the whole interaction was awesome. And I like, 
maybe I'll give Kevin Costner a chance with this Yellowstone. You should. You, you, you know, I think you should because um, there are some, I, I think, almost Shakespearean archetypal characters. I, I think Costner is playing at a high level with Yellowstone. Mm. Um, and it really does seem to be very relevant with the battles that, that are forming with um, so much money continuing to come into a state like this and um, really being able to like dictate policy and mm. influence things on a level that um, the people on the ground that have to deal with the increased cost of everything I mean it's just like how much is enough you know right right and that's it's it's gotten to the point where it's at this point it's ridiculous like um, like it, it, uh, I don't know if you know this but uh, there's a corporation called Zwillow that's buying up all the properties you know I've heard of like Black Rock being involved in a lot of um, you know foreclosure purchases and and it seems like the the centralized power wants to continue centralizing right. more power for itself right so. it's so there's it's these companies that are buying yeah the it's not it's not individuals it's companies that are buying the properties right. um, there's a if you go on the website to look up all the Airbnb properties in Missoula there it, it grows every week yep. I check once a week and it's just like more and more in fact there are two buildings in my apartment complex that are two uh, apartments in my complex that are Airbnb being Airbnb right now. Oh, you're kidding me. No, and just right there on on okay, on Russell. Interesting. Uh one of the ladies uh d died. She was an older woman. Um basically dementia went crazy insane and then less than a week later um it was an Airbnb. It was an Airbnb. Wow. Yeah. I know there's um, talk on trying to study what that actually looks like in this town um, because it is, I think, proliferating faster than they even understand. Oh, yeah. And that's part of the that's part of the pressure on housing. And even uh, so my next door neighbor is a techie guy from Silicon Valley. Um, so he told me the story that he moved to Arizona and then uh, because of the coronavirus, he could go anywhere. So he moved to Montana because he, he came through here once. But he has uh, his vehicle has Arizona license plates because he was walking around downtown and all he hears is people complaining about the rich people from California moving here, and he he started dressing up like a, a thin blue line ultra conservative type of dude. <laughs> to blend in kind of yeah. and it, it, he I've seen him at bars a couple places he's the only person who dresses like that and like he's got the, he's got the the. American flag with the thin blue line hat, the MAGA cap, the fucking like, it's it's weird. People are doing weird shit to try to blend in here. But yeah. anyone who's from here can just look at them and be like, I know you're not from around here. Yeah, and I you know, and I try and remind myself. Yeah, it's like yeah, I was like you know at that point once, but um, I, I think there's a certain way of approaching a new community. Right. Um, if you're humble and you you pay attention and you try and um, see what this the, the culture is like. Um, one of the, one of the things that's coming up um, pretty soon, and you can see in here in the studio, I, I got some uh, ephemera from the Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. um, I really miss the Day of the Dead parade. I don't think oh, it's going to yeah. happen. Um, and uh, you know, I, I know some of the people involved in saying that it was cultural appropriation and shutting it down and I think that's uh, dumb there's no such thing as cultural appropriation well, it's so frustrating um, oh, this guy I know in town Brian Ramirez is, you know he's like Mexican you know, heritage and he's like hey I'm Mexican I 
I give you guys permission to do it because it was such a beautiful, beautiful, yeah. long-standing tradition in this town to, to celebrate this with a parade down Higgins. Mm -hmm. um, I use the Day of the Dead to help talk to my kids about death. Right. Um, when one of my dogs passed away, you know, I want to, to tell my kids this is a part of life. This isn't something that we have to um, just try and ignore and pretend doesn't happen. Like this is this is a common thing we all experience. You know, yeah, mm -hmm. it's scary, but um, yeah, I think a huge part of the spiritual aspect of what's going on is just fear, mm -hmm. you know, and fear of death, and then the stuff that people are doing to try and extend, you know, some of that. And it's like we need oh, to be yeah. more honest. Um, and our, our Western culture maybe doesn't have as much connection to spirituality. So you've got a big task ahead of you, Brandon, to get into phil philosophical areas and to help educate people <laughs> i was born for this my i yeah. my i didn't have a father my great-grandfather basically raised me the, mm -hmm. the preacher and he taught me he was a doctorate in theology oh wow taught me everything like from the moment that i could understand him he was filling my head with he'd tell me stuff like brandon i'm going to tell you things that you're not going to understand now but if you remember it you will later you know, that, that's come up again with some conversations I've been having. Um, similar thing. I didn't really understand what was being told to me back then, but now it's like, wow. Wisdom, that's what wisdom is, yeah. you know? And I think that that's a task that I'm completely ready for. Yeah. Um, spirituality is an interesting thing because some people don't want to go past a certain point, right? I think that plant medicines are essential to spirituality yeah. yet you talk to many people who practice a spiritual path they're afraid of the psychedelics well psychedelic just means psyche revealing um, my therapist went to a, a conference a few weeks ago basically saying using mdma and psilocybin mushrooms for veteran treatment pro yes. process yes and i'll this will be probably my first time publicly saying this but i have used plant medicines for my own uh uh, health and recovery and I've talked to my therapist about it and she told me I was a man ahead of my time so I want to be able to provide these I'm a Taoist mm -hmm. so Taoism includes everything yeah right yeah. Uh, um, and in that process it's like you just have to find your way right there's there's only one way and it's same for everyone but also different yeah and yeah. you can't really talk about it you just have the kind of go through the process and you have to know your own self if there's any knowledge that you, you can know science you can know mathematics you can know astronomy you can know physics you can know all these types of things but if you do know not know yourself then none of that information is actually worth anything because you can't apply it I, and I finally had to realize that as I was doing research into dark topics and feeling sort of powerless and doing the, the, the pity party, you know, I'm like, oh, no one knows about the dark stuff like I do. Suckle the wine, down mm -hmm. the wine, boda box, boda box. And then when I finally stopped the pity party and did the actual difficult work inside of kind of like, you know, being more accountable, um, you know, it's, it's amazing the things that started sort of opening up. And so I think there is a lot out there, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to integrating trauma back into your life through the mm -hmm. use um, the intentional use of some of these medicines mm -hmm. um, and really referring to them as medicines. And right. not everyone can be as upfront about the use of, of some of this stuff until pioneers like you help open up that space for others. And so thank you for, for sharing that. I think Thanks. it's something that a lot of people are, are learning mm -hmm. that it can be beneficial. Well, I didn't do anything until I was 27 years old. I didn't yeah. smoke weed. I, I drank in the military, but like it, it was after my head injury, after my accident, I was raging. You know, TBI, you, veterans with a lot of 
emotional problems are usually TBI related. Um, Which really impacts impulse control on a variety of levels, and every brain injury is itself a very specific thing. There's no brain injury that's like right, and it, it, it stacks. Yeah, like, yeah, they do stack. I've seen it. Yeah, um, and so it's like I I was having this emotional rage problem, and my buddy rolled me a joint, and he's like, "Dude, just smoke this." And I was like, "You know what? I'm not in the military anymore. Fuck it." <laughs> so I smoked it, and it was like immediate relief. Yeah, yeah, it was like I had this fire. My nerves were firing, electrical fire, right? And it was like someone put a blanket over it, and I, I was like, "Holy crap! Why don't they just, why don't they give this to people?" Yeah, like why right. don't, why don't they? And um, my journey with whistleblowing led me all across the world, and I've met shamans and medicine practitioners, and I, they gave me this gift yeah. of healing that. Ah, uh, it's really hard to describe other than like, I feel wholly myself, mm-hmm. you know, I have the cracks and the, the brokenness, but the, and the pain doesn't go away, but I'm stronger. I can hold it. And it's like, I can fill those cracks and that pain with something else. The, the, uh, the, the infection's gone. Yeah. Really. That's a great way of describing it. That's a really beautiful way of, um, of saying it. And so my, you know, I don't think I need a whistleblower anymore and I'm definitely not getting into politics. <laughs> I'm taking the spiritual route that yes. my grandfather placed before me and ministering to people who need it. And I really did think like, I used to think, well, everyone should do mushrooms. I do think so. I think that everyone in their life should do 10 grams of mushrooms in the dark, in the woods and connect with themselves. Yeah, yeah. But you only need like three or four stems and caps for a solid trip. Yep. And if you look at any of the science behind, excuse me, science behind it, that if you've got depression, anxiety, any of that type of stuff, that relief lasts for months. And people should really look into this because there's more studies that are happening now. There's more interest in the, from the medical community about um, what this is, what what the potential use is. I mean, back in the day, MDMA was was um, looked at as therapeutic for people mm-hmm. facing um, their their own like mortality. You know, if mm-hmm. they had a terminal diagnosis um, and they wanted to process this with a loved one, MDMA was used in a, in a kind of clinical setting. And so it's really encouraging to see things coming back in a positive way on mm-hmm. that front because um, people that don't have um, better tools to deal with trauma, you know, like I was saying, self-medicating with alcohol was not ultimately a good thing for anyone around me. And it's, it's interesting as I get myself, I think, in a healthier place, um, sometimes people that are not in a good place, you know, um, I think that almost is some of the targeting sometimes is, is that, you know, there's a sense that there is strength as you are doing that inner work um, and it makes the other stuff happen in a much better light. So, right. So um, the pain, go into the pain. Yeah. Go into it. I mean, that's instead of running from it. Yeah. I and mean, that's where you, whatever it is that you're looking for, you'll find it in the pain. Yeah. I think. Um, and I, I also think that with, you know, if, if we are having like a, a renaissance of the psychedelics from the 60s and 70s, I think what failed then was that the lack of communication, the ability to communicate instantaneously worldwide and the uh, hiding of certain information from the general public and making it fear that is going away because now a lot of people are growing up and maturing and seeing the fact that, well, we do have to take responsibility for ourselves. The government 
the government should have no responsibility over dictating the lives of anyone else. We hire them to do basic maintenance on the country and they failed. So we shouldn't have to trust them over our own health. I mean, they don't even give us, they don't give us our own health care anyway. So why should we trust them? Yeah. in regarding of whatever we can put in your body. Yeah, the, put your whatever schedule you, one on a plant seems yeah. more and more ridiculous with every passing day. Oh, no, they, it's because these guys want money. And th- this is another thing. All those, these people with money, it's, you know, the inflation going on and, and the accumulation of wealth, there's eventually going to be a period in time when that's not going to be worth anything because the people that don't have the money are going to develop the skill sets that they need in order to survive without it. And once that happens, uh, the wealthy people are going to become the uh, classless, I think. And no one's, no one, I can't tell you anytime I talk to anyone other than conservative Christians about the wealth disparity stuff, no one no one accepts it everyone thinks it's bullshit we're all paying our taxes and we have the panama papers and the pandora papers showing that every single wealthy person in the world is not paying their due they're and when you, when, you th- when you think of common ground the socioeconomic realities of the largest transfer of wealth in the past you know decade continuing to happen i mean that that really is the rallying cry mm-hmm. or could be for for a population that was aware of that all they have to do if every single person paid a 10% tax, including corporations, that's it, not 30%, not whatever, 10% tax, we'd have all of our basic stuff taken care of. And it would, it would be like pennies for most people. And then they wouldn't have to worry about it. Why is it that we have to make people suffer in order for them to earn the right to live? Right, the right to all these pro-lifers, right to life stuff. They're not right to life stuff. They're just selfish idiots who are emotionally controlled by whatever fake belief system that they have propped inside of them. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting world we find ourselves in, and a lot of stuff has gone tipsy turvy and sort of changed a lot. And so, keeping oriented in this new world is a constant challenge. Well, uh, I, I always, I, I, growing up as a Christian, I, I use a lot of Christian metaphors when yeah. talking to Christians, and like Revelation is revealing like if we we are going through a revelation right now where the truth is being revealed about the things that are going on military industrial complex the politics the wealth disparity the corporate stuff all this stuff is being revealed to us at a time and until people actually do something about it it's not going to change you're going to have people like me out there fighting because the fight is what gives us life um and it's our purpose but unless other people do something about it, nothing's going to change. You know what I've really been most upset about this whole court stuff that I've dealt with yeah. is that where is my su- local support? Where is it? Yeah. I've gone to people and I've, I've listened to so many people complain, talk about it. I go to forums and I, I the Reddit forums. Uh, there was there was. People are isolated. It seems like people are very fractured and isolated in their own little sort of silos at this point. The the Reddit forums, there was a few moderators that were on the Missoula Reddit forums that were controlling, manipulative, altering stuff. I see people complaining about the wealth disparity and everything moving in and other people being like, oh, you're just a, a I can't really remember what someone Some called narrative me. control, possible like yeah. trolls. I mean, it's such a, yeah. the, the information warfare is, a, is something that a lot of people aren't very sophisticated yeah. about. But I, but the thing is, is like, I see people complaining and yeah. then 
I post anonymously being like, well, what are you doing about it? And then I'll even bring up my name or something else. And all of a sudden, these people that are complaining, they'll turn around and attack me. Well, it is it is a crazy world we live in now. And it's um, I do feel that sort of isolation still myself and that fractured sense of um, support that maybe I used to have, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily being that there in the same way. Um, and it's an interesting thing to, to, to be out there um, in, the, in this in this new world to try and understand where, where right. your place is in it. You and, know? and that's the thing is like, okay, if I were to give you an example of that, like I didn't know where my life was going to end. In fact, when I first started whistleblowing, I was sure it was going to end. Yeah, right. Um, and I got here, I'm here in front of you right now today, and all you gotta do is just do it. It's not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna have the perfect life, the perfect relationship, the perfect family, the perfect this, you know, maybe in your dreams, maybe in your head, maybe in your mindscape, but it's it's never ever gonna be perfect. You just gotta do the best that you can yeah. and treat people with courtesy. There's so many rude people out there and I fucking hate it. The basics are important and when I drive around in this town, I, I often wonder what might be going on um, just because I see so much rage and anger out there behind the wheel um i was actually out walking around saturday night even though i don't drink alcohol i'm fascinated by the bar scene yeah. on friday and saturday nights and, and and the grizz lost on saturday i saw so <laughs> many like like fights you know like people just getting their asses kicked left and right i'm just like whoa you know like yeah cannabis is the is the big problem right when we have alcohol yeah. you know making people turn into you know crazy Monsters, people yeah. downtown so yeah <laughs> well, i know I, I, it's 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 strange like we're all in a i think that people are just confused yeah you know and, and a little lost um but you know i think that if people just start fighting for their own right you know you don't have to destroy the system in fact you can't you're never going to destroy the system yeah. the system it's like destroying the body all you got to do is clean it out you know, get rid of the infection, get rid of the plague, get rid of the fraud, waste, and abuse, and actually be responsible and caring about your community. And, well, and I hear you say, kind of, you know, stop complaining and, and look at what you can actually do. You know, yeah. stand up and find something you can do. Everyone has action steps they can take. Right. It doesn't have to be huge, right. um, but everyone has things they can do to lessen maybe that frustration. So it's less complaining, mm -hmm. you know, and just putting out that negativity and more accountability and finding what you can do right. in your own community. And we gotta, we have to have more people, locals running for we can't we can't have people coming like Gwen Jones coming from Wisconsin or Heather Harp coming from Wisconsin and becoming a city council member without having lived here for at least a day. Yeah, I think Gwen was um, she was a lawyer in California for a while. I yeah. I, I did think she'd spent some time growing up. I know I talked to Brad Sheeta recently and he mentioned because um, I, I shared with him my my run in with Gwen and he he actually taught her I think when she was in school. Oh, she came, she was school here. So I believe she did go to school in Missoula and then. Oh. Um, did a lot of California kind of legal work um, and then moved back here with her family. So yeah. I, I, I think I'll, I'll double check on that. But um, but I, I really think it is important to to have some humility when you move into a, a new community. And mm -hmm. what we have seen in the last 20 years, um, especially under the last 16 years under Engen, um, even though he's a, a hometown Missoula, you know, homegrown guy, um, you know, we have had a lot of, of, of things happen in this, in this in this community that makes it harder and harder and harder 
harder yeah. for people that have, were born here to continue living here. And Absolutely. so it just, I see that dynamic. Um, you know, I worked at a shelter where, you know, I, I saw what happened when that, you know, insecure living situation blows up and, and they have to, you know, access emergency services. Right. And people don't have any clue how many people are living in their cars. That yeah. is one of the uncounted, unspoken, unaware, um, you know, groups of people that are just under the radar, like you were for, for a brief time, you know? Mm -hmm. So sharing, sharing those aspects of your story, I hope people are hearing this mm -hmm. and realize they are not alone in some of the struggles they're having. Absolutely. Um, and that there, there are better things to do when you take some of that accountability more yourself and do that inner work. So I think you share some amazing stuff today. Thank you. I think that, um, closing comments, Mr. Bryant. <laughs> um, I think that we are, we, the situation in the world might look pretty grim, but I'm a grim dreamer. And I think that it's a good place for us to be in because this is, this is going to test our merit. This is, this is going to be the thing that, um, determines whether or not how the future generations will see, see us. And yeah. like, look at what, a hundred years ago, look at what we're saying now and look at the reprisal. A hundred years from now, what are they going to say about us? I definitely know for me, I'm not going to be one of those guys that's on a list that like the Nuremberg trials be like, this guy just followed orders. Right. I'm right. not going to be one of those guys on the list that when someone looks back a hundred years being like, oh, this guy is one of the military members that just followed orders and just helped kill people. No, I changed my fate yeah. and anyone can change their fate. You know, you just have to be determined enough to do it. And I'm not talking about picking up your, by yourself by your bootstraps because that's impossible. Uh, have you ever seen Firefly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, I think this is a good good thing to to stop uh, stop on. But yeah. if you can't run, you walk. If you can't walk, you crawl. If you can't crawl, you wait for someone to pick you up. I like that. I think that's a great place to end. Brandon, thank you so much for taking some time. Yeah. Um, Thanks, man. Oh, I'm going to have to hit uh, stop now, but I think we could probably talk for a few more hours. But yeah. um, at some point, I do have to go and walk the dog. So. Okay. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you so much, Brandon. Thanks, dude. Okay. And that is a wrap on ZoomCron episode four, a conversation with drone whistleblower Brandon Bryant. This conversation is part of a larger project. Um, if you go to a website... You might even see a trailer. It says it's a possibility. As I am talking here on October 24th, 2021, I can't guarantee by the time you are listening to this, there will be a trailer, but there is a website. That website is engensmissoula.com. That's E-N-G-E-N-S-M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A dot com. It's coming. 11.11. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Travis Matier. Get in touch with me if you'd like at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Until next time, you are tuning in to Zoomcron. <laughs>